0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Talk about wearing lots of hats like Commander of Naval Meteorology and Oceanography, Navigator of the Navy, Hydrographer of the Navy, and that's not all. At the Sea Air Space Conference this week I caught up with Rear Admiral Ron Perret who described the 2,600-member operation that takes care of all of the Navy's weather, oceanography, and meteorology observations and analyses.
0: The sea is a challenging environment, no matter what you set sail on or where you are from. Uh, bottom line: uh, the the environment and the sea get a vote. So certainly, our our first endeavor is that the the fleet operates safely. But it's more than that. It's really taking our deep understanding of the environment, whether whether it's uh, in the ocean, in the acoustics and ocean dynamics, or within the atmosphere in the electromagnetic uh, spectrum, if you will, and how we uh, then optimize and employ the fleet, uh, regardless of platform. And that's what we're really about. Safety is the fundamental aspect, uh, but we really build upon that. And it's about fleet employment, uh, fleet uh, lethality uh, in the end. And you can understand how surface events and storms and the
1: atmosphere are going to affect the surface of the ocean. Anyone that's ever seen the ocean understands that. How far deep does that go, and how does it begin to affect submarine operations?
0: Yeah, we... We have a hashtag, if you will, uh, uh, really, and it it means it starts with us. And and we really uh, look to characterize the environment from the seafloor, the seabed, all the way through the atmosphere to the stars. So one of the things we also do is we map the stars. That's part of really understanding positioning, navigation, and timing as well. So that's another aspect of what we do, as well as just what, you know, weather forecasting and dynamics in the atmosphere, but also ocean dynamics. So when you're thinking about things like anti-submarine warfare, you're really talking about acoustics. How is sound moving through the ocean? And you really need to understand the ocean to understand that, frankly. But uh, we have six survey ships that are forward deployed around the world where, that our civilians meet up with in various locations, and we'll conduct those type of military surveys across the globe in areas of interest. And again, those are state-of-the-art, world-class platforms uh, where we are charting we are surveying the ocean floor. And then we obviously share that with the DOD broadly.
1: And how do you interoperate, say, with NOAA, which also has surface ships doing a lot of measurement? And for that matter, NASA is also doing surface of the Earth measurements and space measurements. There's a lot of this gathering going on across civilian and DOD. How do you coordinate it all so you're not going over the same (laughs) ocean beds? I really
0: appreciate that question because I do have one more title, and it's the Naval Deputy to NOAA. So I actually work very closely with my NOAA counterparts because we do have shared interests in uh, atmospheric modeling and observation. So we share a lot of data. Uh, We also help each other deploy and recover our unmanned systems. And so we have a really great partnership that uh, in terms of looking at, say, things like hurricane intensity and hurricane modeling. And and so the past uh, three or four years, we've been collaboratively deploying ocean gliders to really measure the heat content in the Gulf as well as the Atlantic so that uh, we can then better model hurricane intensification. And that's just one aspect of what we do with NOAA and the National Weather Service.
1: Now, people have been measuring uh, water meteorological effects for centuries since, since man since first put stood upright yep. and stars. But my sense is that the data gathering and the amount of volume of data and the and the fine-grained nature of that data is really accelerating now isn't it
0: absolutely with the uh, advent and employment of unmanned systems and remote sensing uh, really the amount of data that we can collect and ingest is just just grown uh, really and we are in fact uh, naval meteorology and oceanography is in big data Uh, We really, uh, we ingest uh, 40 plus million observations daily. We take that, ingest that into our models, and then produce a forecast uh, for the fleet. So we are in fact, uh, we have a great relationship with the Defense Resource Supercomputing Center as well. And and so we really have a tight partnership. I'm sure they would like me to tell you that they've got the 53rd fastest computer in the world. So that's what the the DOD and the nation are really putting towards towards the fleet, uh, frankly, and uh, ensuring that we're getting the very best out of it.
1: We're speaking with Rear Admiral Ron Perrette, Commander of Naval Meteorology and Oceanography. And what we, the other title in, m- in your many jobs is Hydrography. What is that?
0: Yeah, I mean, so... It says drawing the water, it, uh, but that's <laughs> like a bucket where you draw yeah, water. Really, uh, the science of hydrography and really uh, uh, mapping the ocean floor bathymetry. That's, that's how we get to safety of navigation. Um, and so those ships that we talked about, our TAG survey vessels, are equipped with multi-beam sonars that can measure the deepest part of the oceans as well as the shallowest in the littorals. And then we can turn that into boundary conditions, uh, if you will, for our oceanographic uh, models for the dynamics and the acoustics as well.
1: And to work as one of those 2,600 people that you oversee, what skills do do you look for? Sounds like a lot of math.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Certainly, we're always looking for talented people, uh, whether to serve in uniform or in civil service, from a science and uh, technology, uh, you know, engineering, and mathematics. It ranges from uh, physical scientists, uh, oceanographers, geologists. We have uh, the Navy's only operational geology lab. We also uh, folks who specialize in physics, optics, computer science. Data management. The list goes on to include all types of engineering as well.
1: And where is it all headquartered? Where are all the big screens?
0: Well, we have a concentration. I'm, I'm, my command is headquartered at Stennis Space Center. Down there is the Naval Oceanographic Office is down there as well as the Naval Oceanography Operations Center is headquartered down there. We have fleet weather centers in the fleet concentration areas in San Diego and in Norfolk, and then we also have our supercomputing and Modeling Center, Fleet Numerical and Meteorology and Oceanography Center in Monterey, California, as well. And last but not least is the Naval Observatory, probably one of our oldest commands that's uh, up on Observatory Circle here in DC that is chartered with positioning, navigation, and timing not only for the Navy, but for the Department of Defense as a whole.
1: I reset my watch every time I drive by there on Massachusetts Avenue. There you go. A couple of questions. You mentioned the ocean floor. How much left is there? Is there still areas to be mapped and to be learned about?
0: There is plenty of work left to do. Uh, Frankly, if I told you a number, tomorrow it will be a little different. Uh, But uh, you can safely say uh, that uh, having charted to current standards, the best standards, no more than 20%. We've got a lot of work to do in that area, and uh, but we've got a lot of partners uh, across the world too. We're also one of the member states in the International Hydrographic Organization that's headquartered out of Monaco. And so we meet with regional experts to figure out what their requirements are and how do we share data across those organizations and countries.
1: And you mentioned you also map the stars. Anything left to learn from star navigation in yeah. this day and age
0: you bet right we we certainly have all grown used to the utility of gps and as you stated you did it on your phone this morning well guess what that that time that we are a significant portion of national time feeds into that that supports encryption that supports your uh, google maps you know that got many people here to the conference today and, and there is still plenty to, to learn. We're continually improving our accuracy and precision when it comes to time, because that really does feed everything else we do, um, not only in our daily lives, but, but really in, uh, in warfare.
1: So in that sense, NASA and Space Force must also be interrelated enterprises because they've got the look-see up there
0: well, we have partnerships certainly with Space Force and NASA, but again, we do the charting of the stars uh, on behalf of DoD. So we share that information and have a lot of uh, interagency stakeholders.
1: And by the way, do they still teach star navigation in the Navy? Yes,
0: they do. As a matter of fact, I think at one point in time they, they thought, well, we got GPS, we have Navstar. You know, we don't need that anymore. But I think that we have found that there are ways to degrade that capability. So celestial navigation is alive and well both in uh, in all aspects of warfare so once we're done here we'll probably take a sight on the sun to make sure that we're we're, we're aligned
1: so long division and navigating by stars still good skills to have
0: there's no shortcut on the uh, application of math we're all dealing with it Rear
1: Admiral Ron Perret is Commander of Naval Meteorology and Oceanography, and I spoke with him at this week's Sea Air Space Conference at National Harbor. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner of At 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture backed Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome, and thank you for being here.
3: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader, and what was it about them that inspired you?
3: So there are actually two people. Um, The first person, personally, was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent, and what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because, I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, And it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people. I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling, not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders, and particularly Black women and certainly gay Black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm
2: as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy.
3: <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature, wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Regola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. A financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company
1: headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.